you like audiobooks or audio shows, check out a free trial of Audible. Just click the link in the description. You are listening to Mindshock True Crime. This is the Maura Murray series, episode 29, Bombshell Evidence. This is your host, Bruce McGuire. And Maxwell Powers. And you are not going to believe the information we are going to put forth today. Maxwell's going to get his mind shocked, mind blown. I mean, we're going to finally be going over the full breakdown of the recent, of all recent developments. As always, if you like the podcast, you can donate to our PayPal. Just check the link in the description. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell for notifications. If you like the video, hit the like button. Feel free to share it across social media platforms. Any questions, comments, thoughts, suggestions, feel free to leave it in the comments section. Make sure to like our Facebook page. You can also check us out on Twitter, Reddit, and Patreon. Okay, let's get down to it. Okay, Maxwell Powers, always on the ball, always perfect recollection of everything we have discussed in the previous 28 episodes. You're not going to forget Maura's name again, are you, Maxwell? (laughs) (laughs) I'll try not to. (laughs) All right, okay, so John Smith has recently put out some information regarding Cecil Smith. And some information about the local goings-on in the past week or so in Haverhill, New Hampshire. So, before we get into that, let's go over John's post on his blog from December 22nd, 2018. It is titled, The Truth is Unavoidable. He caught a lot of flack for this, and there's certain other investigators in the case or so-called personalities who are trying to push an ever-obvious agenda into shutting down this lead for some reason, going as far as justifying law enforcement delaying any action on this lead and pretending that either Fred or whoever is pissed off at John for releasing information when we don't know what happened. We don't know if the family specifically asked John to release it early to to hold law enforcement accountable or if they don't mind or if they have no opinion at all. I mean, we're not going to engage in any of these assumptions, but we are going to cite the possibilities that maybe they were mad, maybe they wanted it, maybe they weren't mad, but and again, once again, not speaking for Fred Murray, but I would think that they want truth and justice for Mora as soon as possible. And they want all investigation into any and all leads done as soon as possible. So here's his post. We are now approaching the 15th year. Yes, 15 years since Mora Murray mysteriously disappeared in Haverhill, New Hampshire. 15 years with no real answers in what seems to be a wall of silence. In this case, the Murray family deserves closure in what must be absolute agony of not knowing what happened to Mora. It is time for the truth. It is time for justice. It is time for closure. It is time. The recent information supplied by the team to the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit and the FBI on December 7th, 2018, included documentation from professional cadaver dog handlers, videos taken during the dog searches for human remains at location, initial analysis of the GPR testing done at location, including an anomaly, and the official affidavit. Now, keep in mind, all of the John Smith haters and discreditors, all of the online trolls, Tim, Lance, Maggie, Art, all of these people, initially, if you go through some of the online social media chatter, they were even calling all of this some kind of weird publicity stunt for attention and doubting that any of this was even true. Now, it's a fair point to doubt it's even true, but they were stating it's, it's like nonsense facts, John Smith can't be trusted, all of these other things. And of course, I'm sure they wouldn't want anybody looking into that. They would sweep all that under the rug because now they're calling for action from law enforcement once the lead has been legitimate. No apology to John Smith, of course. <laughs> I don't think there have been any apologies to John Smith anywhere along the past 15 years, which I also find interesting because... 
it seems like he's the only one who's operating without an agenda. I mean, I've seen him change his theories multiple times. He always has everything on the table. He's not trying to steer. He doesn't want to shut down investigation at UMass. He doesn't want to shut down investigation into law enforcement. He doesn't want to shut down investigation into anything. So it's it's always kind of weird. I think it's easiest to see the truth from the people who aren't shutting down any avenues of investigation because if the truth is not afraid of investigation, why would you be like James Renner recently saying there's no reason to suspect law enforcement? I mean, that's just bizarre. And of course, him blaming Fred Murray for Cecil Smith's suicide in a weird passive aggressive way. I think he deleted the original post where he explicitly stated it. But I mean, it's kind of hard to support James Renner for those kinds of statements, because as I pointed out in the previous podcast, if it was Jeff Shrelzen who kind of forced Cecil, and if Cecil's the good guy, and there was a law enforcement conspiracy, and all of this stress led to possibly some kind of an effect on his psyche, which I could imagine it would to someone even without a neurological disease. Because that's kind of messed up. And of course, James Renner doesn't even want to consider that possibility. Some of these other online personalities don't even want to consider that possibility. They don't even want to look in that direction, which I find telling. Because if law enforcement really truly is innocent, which is a possibility, I talk about that all the time. It could be, I mean, they could have been the good guys this whole time. But how would you know without really doing an honest, objective, neutral look at it? I mean, that's scientific. That's logical. You don't jump to assumptions or conclusion. You don't use any kind of circular reasoning or begging the question fallacies where you're saying, well, since law enforcement weren't responsible, it couldn't have been 001 here and it couldn't have been. Well, how do you know? If you don't know the truth, the only logical, honest way to look at it is objectively and neutral without a position. Which is what we try to do on Mindshock. <laughs> I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Maxwell, but have I ever pushed any single theory? Um, not that I know of. I, I pretty, we pretty much covered everything, even psychics. So yeah, and even even now, we don't know what happened. Cecil could have been the good guy. He could have been the bad guy. Law enforcement could have been the good guys. They could have been trying to help Mora. We don't know the situation. Obviously, there's missing variables. And without knowing those missing variables, it's impossible to really state what happened. But everything's on the table since we don't know what happened. The only truly illogical theory at this point, given all the information, unless new information is introduced that's not assumptions and hearsay, like Clint Harding still wants to push... She committed suicide. She went into the woods despite there being no body. And let's sweep all the anomalies under the rug and pretend there's nothing to see here regarding any of the shady situations. I mean, that's really the only position that I could see as stating it seems to be the least likely. But again, I'm not going to be dogmatic. If someone can introduce more evidence, real evidence, that Mora was suicidal or walked into the woods... I mean, you know, introduce the evidence. We'll look at any theory. That, I mean, I'm still maintaining that could be a possibility. I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying there's no reason to suspect she was suicidal. Obviously, there are little pieces of information, pieces of evidence that could possibly be interpreted as her being upset and unhappy. Whether or not that leads to suicide, I mean, obviously, that's all subject to speculation. But to make these sweeping generalizations that there's no reason to suspect law enforcement, I mean, James Renner himself in his book made, made those kinds of suggestions, you know, like in his interview with Cecil, where, he, where Cecil's kind of like, you'd have to go talk to Jeff Williams. And then Jeff Williams kicks him off his property. Again, that doesn't mean that they had anything to do with what happened to Mora. But that certainly looks suspicious, and that certainly warrants further investigation. I mean, the only thing we can say for sure is that Jeff Williams did not seem to be 100% honest and forthcoming in kicking Renner off the property. Once again, could be completely unrelated to Mora, but you can't say, oh, he was super helpful and honest and all that. He wasn't. So there's definitely at least some, some evidence to suggest that law enforcement knows more than they're telling, which may or may not imply any kind of complicity but just wanted to touch upon that but let's go back to john smith's post the new hampshire state police were well aware of this location in mid-2004 because fred murray had shared reports from locals indicating involvement by the owner and presence of new concrete being poured at the location it is unclear if new hampshire state police followed up on this lead at all on october 2nd 
2018, I received a tip about a location that could possibly be connected to the disappearance of Mora. After a bit more research to verify the tip, I shared it with the team on October 3rd, 2018. The tip was thoroughly investigated, revealing this was indeed the same property that New Hampshire State Police were alerted to back in 2004. A plan was made to gain entry to the property to further look into this location and any connection to the disappearance of Mora. The landowners were approached and granted us access to the location to do the searches with cadaver dogs and GPR testing. Because the landowners granted us access, we did not have to go through the legalities of obtaining a probable cause warrant like law enforcement would be required to do so. This was accomplished by the small group of citizens provided to law enforcement a paved way for an easy transition onto the property with a warrant in hand. The first cadaver dog and handler was brought in on November 25th, 2018, and a positive hit was indicated and video recorded. The second cadaver dog and handler was brought in on December 1st, 2018, and a positive hit in the same location was indicated and a video recorded. Now, also, I'd like to touch upon the so-called narrative steerers, the trolls out there on Reddit and other social media who were actually trying to discredit cadaver dogs. So we talked about cadaver dogs all the time. We talked about in the Stephen Avery series, depending on the studies, they could be up to 98% reliable. So, and they're the foundation for many warrants and cases that lead to solving many, many cases. I mean, obviously nothing is 100%. But it's kind of weird how they take some hearsay and they value that so much higher than actual scientific evidence of trained cadaver dogs. Obviously, depending on the conditions and situations, their reliability can drop. But when you're talking about two separate ones, I mean, now you're talking, you know, up to 98% twice. So that even if the conditions had a drop in that reliability. I mean, you're talking pretty much as bulletproof as you can get. I mean, they, I guess they could do a third one and that would be even better. But I mean, for people that are actually trying to discredit the dog hits, do you find that kind of weird or what? I mean, some of these people are like administrators on certain social media sites that are trying to steer this narrative. It's kind of, it's kind of alarming. Yeah, it's kind of weird. There's definitely something weird going on online. I mean, I guess people could just be that illogical in trying to justify. I mean, if they're if they really worship at the altar of the appeal to authority fallacy and they just can't see anything that law enforcement could ever do either wrong or they can't ever overlook anything, they're trying to really grasp at whatever straws they can to justify them not investigating this hit. It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. All right, so the GPR specialist was then given the scene to conduct a ground-penetrating radar scan of the suspected location and the immediate area. That scan was conducted and lasted about two hours. Once all documentation was obtained, an evidence package was put together. The affidavit was drafted and submitted on December 7, 2018. On December 10, 2018, I posted a statement on Reddit about the information and removed it about an hour later. On December 12, 2018, I reposted the edited version of the statement to Reddit and Twitter. So here's actually, here's Maggie's tweet for, that he posted a screenshot, December 14th. This charade is not about Mora in any way. It's a desperate attempt to be relevant and using the family as collateral damage. Well, that's an interesting statement. Some psychologists might actually see that as psychological projection. What do you think, Maxwell? <laughs> Uh, about uh, <laughs> Max Warmly, about Maggie's comment uh, about John Smith's uh, post that it's a charade that's not about Mora in any way. It's a desperate attempt to be relevant and using the family as collateral damage. Th this is about uh, his post on the cadaver yes. dogs and stuff like that. Yeah, oh, that's crazy. I know. That's but well, why is Maggie still involved in this thing? That's a good question. Did a, she did. Too. She did a documentary, and that's it. I guess so. I mean, the Oxygen Show, some people hate it, some people like it. I think it's, like I've said this many times, I think it's good and necessary because it kind of exposed some of the agendas and narrative steering. Because if you look at the way Maggie interviewed Fred, and then you look at the way Maggie interviewed law enforcement, I mean, 
that's all the that's all the bias you need to see. <laughs> They're definitely. Right. Trying, it seems like they made up the whole story about Cecil in zero zero one. And given his neurological condition, if he's the good guy, and other police officers took advantage of him, which we'll get into once we get into the new information provided by John Smith. If that's all true, that's really messed up because law enforcement are taking advantage of Cecil Smith. If that's true, I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying we don't know. And Strelzen is there, you know, watching them and whatever the terms were. It seemed like the the Oxygen show was kind of just like uh, some kind of damage control hit piece against John Smith and to promote the law enforcement is innocent agenda instead of honestly going down every rabbit hole, which like the first episode was actually pretty good of the action shows. Maybe, maybe by the time we get to like episode 40, you'll actually get around to, to watching it. But <laughs> you'll see the, the first episode I uh, thought was actually pretty decent. And the way that they were setting it up as if it was going to be an honest investigation into all avenues. And then it wasn't. And some people online are also speculating as why Maggie was chosen for the oxygen show. And then Art Roderick's story about why he got involved. He met Fred Murray on the street or something. It was a little suspicious as well. I mean, the whole thing was kind of suspicious, but if you look at the Oxygen series through several different lenses, you'll you'll be able to kind of see what they were trying to do. And she also posted, spoken with law enforcement and family. Notice how she doesn't say who in law enforcement or who in the Murray family. John Smith is blowing smoke to seem important. He's not involved in any way and is releasing info against the family's wishes. So... It's kind of weird. So if she, I mean, I guess she doesn't realize that there could be more than one member of a family and different family members might, may or may not want certain things released. And we also don't, I mean, we don't know the conversation they had or what she said. So if she, if Maggie either made some stuff up on purpose and they responded that they didn't want that stuff out there, or if Maggie was just that ill-informed about what she was talking about, they, they might have not had an accurate information with the real facts that John Smith presented. Because I find it hard to believe that she objectively was talking to Julie or whoever she's talking to or some representative of the family and gave him the gave them the accurate rundown. And they were like, oh, yeah, we definitely didn't want this, this, this or this released. We don't know that. And then so. So, yeah, it's kind of all these just assumptions and fallacy stacks. And it's just kind of gets into all this drama. And the only reason I'm talking about it on the podcast is people that are new to the case. I, they might be swayed by this illogical propaganda against John Smith when John Smith might be one of the only honest researchers in this case. And once again, he could be wrong about anything. He could be wrong about everything, anything and everything. But he doesn't, I mean, I don't know about you, but it doesn't seem like he's really trying to grab attention or trying to make money off this. You know, he's, it's just, or attention. It seems like he's just honestly investigating the case and he just obviously he doesn't have that much patience for certain trolls. I mean, I once saw it read, I forget where someone said something like uh, John Smith doesn't suffer fools. <laughs> so that's why he's so brash and abrasive in some people's opinions, which I could see that. But uh, that doesn't mean he's wrong about anything. And uh, the smear campaign against him has just become so obvious I mean, I just got to call it how I see it. Like, he could be wrong about everything. I'm not saying anybody should believe John Smith about anything. I'm just saying it's also a possibility that what he's saying is true, just like with everybody. But uh, it's, it's weird. But like I said in the previous podcast, several people who are close to Fred and John have corroborated what John said. John Smith is not the team. There's civilians in the team who donate their time and energy and, you know, it's not free to do that, to do these searches, unlike Tim, Lance, Maggie, Art, and some of the, or James Renner, some of these other people, they're doing this for free without seeking attention. They don't want their names out there. They just want truth and justice for Mora. So, yeah, that's, and from them, John was personally invited to a lot of these uh, events that Maggie was insinuating that he showed up uninvited so the people that are close to Fred and this search team, basically, and again, don't believe me, you can go on Facebook and you can see all this corroborated by these specific individuals. Once again, it's not just words. They have photos and videos of Fred and John and this whole thing and the whole, you know, they all support John Smith, even if they don't like John Smith. Not everybody likes John Smith because of his personality and all these things. Like, I could see that. Some of the people who even extremely dislike John Smith 
they're still taking his side in all of this because he's supporting Fred Murray and Truth and Justice for Mora, which should be the most important thing, not acting like middle schoolers like some of these other people. But anyway, so sometime after the statement was posted, Maggie Freeling called and spoke to someone at New Hampshire State Police. Best guess, Chuck West. Her tweet would indicate that whomever she spoke with revealed some sort of information to her. Are the words in the tweet hers or those of the officer she spoke with? Someone seems to be steering the discredited train. What exactly was relayed to Maggie Freeling during the phone call? You know who Chuck West is, right? We talked about him a bunch of times. Uh, I forgot. And also, like, I forgot who uh, Streisland is. Streisland, he's the assistant attorney general of the state. Uh, okay. We talked about him a million times. Come on, Maxwell, come on. <laughs> okay, wait, wait, what's uh, and who's Chuck West again? Chuck, so Chuck West, he's semi-retired now, but he's with the New Hampshire State Police. One of the most damning, one of his most damning statements was actually when talking about people from Massachusetts, he said, you people keep getting lost up here. <laughs> Doesn't seem like he's that sensitive to the family of missing person. I mean, it's kind of weird. Yeah, Chuck West is definitely an interesting individual. If you haven't listened to our Persons of Interest podcast, we did three Persons of Interest podcasts. One of them was actually on law enforcement and government officials, which, which included Strelzen and Chuck West. So you should definitely check that out, Maxwell. You need to listen to our previous podcast. So anyway, so this is as of December 22nd, the date of this post, he's stating the New Hampshire major crimes and FBI have had this viable information for 16 days. To our knowledge, there has been nothing done by New Hampshire State Police to check this location to confirm or rule out the recent results obtained by the professionals acquired by the team. What is known is that the location was a place of interest back around 2004. So people were telling Fred Murray about this location very close to the time of the disappearance. I would say that information might be more viable than information 10 years later. You know, people tend to forget some small details, but whatever's closest to the time of the event, I believe is the most accurate. Just my opinion. The New Hampshire State Police were alerted and later indicated that they had looked into it. What exactly did the New Hampshire State Police do at the time to investigate this location? Did they bring in cadaver dogs or GPR scanning equipment? How was this location ruled out way back around 2004? The new investigative information uncovered by the team and turned over to New Hampshire State Police and the FBI on December 7th, 2018, is viable and certainly evidential in a crime. What crime occurred, if any, is still up for debate, but the results from the recent cadaver and GPR scan indicate human remains at the location. Are the remains those of Maura Murray? That is unclear, but the investigation led us here. Here's another interesting point. To all the John Smith haters, how do they make sense? Do they just ignore that comment where he's stating it might not even be Maura? It might not even be a crime. It's just simply, a, it's simply information, evidence, a tip, something that supposedly the police have been begging for any kind of information or tips to lead to more, any kind of leads at all. This is simply a lead. He's not pretending it's more or even a crime or even a victim of a crime. Is that how you see that? Um, no. How do you see it? I don't know. So why'd you say no if you don't know how you see it? Um, can you repeat the question again? <laughs> John Smith stated here, what crime occurred, if any, is still up for debate, but the results from the recent cadaver and GPR scan indicate human remains at the location. Are the remains those of Maura Murray? That is unclear, but the investigation led us here. So the people that are saying John Smith is just out for attention, like he's clearly stating here that it might not be Maura and it might not even be the victim of a crime. Uh, I see. So, uh, so that's cool. So what's wrong with that? Nothing. I'm just saying, do the John Smith haters just ignore that one sentence and just pretend he's out for attention? I mean, I don't know. Like, it seems very illogical when he's clearly stating it. Not only might it not be her, it might not even be the victim of any crime. Uh, I see. So they're just hating on him. So it's, um, yeah. Yeah, kind of weird. If indeed the location that the New Hampshire State Police looked into back around 2004 and the one the team recently investigated are the same property, which I have now confirmed from New Hampshire State Police, how is it possible that the New Hampshire State Police work 
turned up nothing. Is it possible that nothing was ever disclosed about their finding if there was anything conclusive, or is it possible nothing at all was, was ever done at this location? Yes, a very big question indeed. It has been 16 days since the new information was turned over to New Hampshire State Police and the FBI. The new information is credible and evidential in a possible crime. There are positive hits for human remains at said location. Why does it seem the authorities are ignoring this new information and putting up a wall of silence after receiving this credible information? Could the reasoning behind the actions of the New Hampshire State Police all be based upon their previous findings from back around 2004? If their reasoning is based upon their earlier findings or lack of, then wouldn't the new evidential findings by professionals be a vital tool in the investigation? If indeed the original search by New Hampshire State Police turned up nothing at this location, the new information provided to the New Hampshire State Police and FBI by the team should raise a huge red flag and the location should be treated as a crime scene. This location needs to be investigated again. And that's a very good point, don't you think? Like, let's say New Hampshire State Police did the most thorough search ever, which, by the way, we'll get into the details of their search in a moment. But let's say they did the best search ever with scent dogs, cadaver dogs, GPR. Let's say they did everything possible and there was nothing there. When new information suggests there's something there, what kind of a investigator, what kind of detective, what kind of a police force would ignore it? Like, have they never heard of bodies being moved? Or what if the body, what if it's not more and someone was just put there last year or two years ago or whatever, since their search, don't they think that human remains should be investigated? I, I'm not following anybody who's saying that they're justified in not investigating. Are you? No, I don't follow. You mean you don't follow what I said or you don't follow? Uh, actually, no, I don't follow what you just talked about. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I don't follow like what. I don't follow. I just I agree with your not following. Okay, all right, gotcha. <laughs> oh, that definitely needed clarification for all the Maxwell fans. Okay, Maxwell for once was following what I was saying and agreed <laughs> about, with about me not, that following. not following that he's not following the logic of law enforcement. <laughs> okay, so. The location has an indication of human remains and an anomaly, and therefore this location has what would appear to be viable evidence in a possible crime, and this evidence could point to the crime and the person or people involved. We know for a fact that the New Hampshire State Police and the FBI were notified of the new information and the affidavit was filed on December 7th, 2018. Who else is aware of the information that was turned over to these entities? Is the New Hampshire Attorney General's office or the governor in the know. This has become a very high profile case, especially in the last couple of years and the online community as well as national media is just sitting in the corner waiting for the answers to come out. One would think that the authorities would want to be as transparent as possible in light of the fact that the attention factor on this case grows exponentially by the day, which also turned out to be true because in the past month, there's been a ton of new media coverage, news reports, I mean, news articles, even in the UK, I'm actually going to read one of them. But uh, yeah, so it's just funny that all the John Smith haters, they're so blinded by their hate, they can't see any of the things that he's saying that are provably true, and they're not considering other things that are possibly true. The professional cadaver dog handlers and their canines are certified and well-respected in the law enforcement community. They have been resourceful in aiding the police in previous cases, and are leaders in their field in the Northeast with a history of success. The GPR forensics anthropologists are number one in their field and the developers of ground penetrating radar science and sought after worldwide. This post is stating undeniable facts that must not be dismissed. I am not speaking for the family. This post is an update as to what has happened since we turned over our information over to the proper authorities. And then he has a picture. Sometimes you just got to poke the bear. Risky, but worth it. <laughs> so it seems like he's just holding law enforcement's feet to the fire. And what if he hadn't done this? So this is something that, once again, the illogical haters, they can't consider any possibilities that are not hating on John Smith or that are not having John Smith in the right. Because if John Smith hadn't released this information, 
would the pressure be there? And that was the question I asked at the very beginning when this information was being put forth and John Smith was catching some criticism from these said personalities and certain individuals. Which is also kind of funny because if you step back and look at it objectively, they have never once praised anything John Smith has ever done. They just continually attack him for every single action, which is kind of weird. So, yes. And of course, these people could never admit that they were wrong about anything or that they prejudged or assumed. So once again, you know, a lot of calling out on this podcast, but what are you going to do? I'm just calling it how I see it from from the sidelines. Object as objectively as possible. So here, here's his follow-up post that he posted on January 18th. So let's track the developments. New Hampshire State Police circling the wagons for almost 15 years, trying to save face for the past 42 days. What's your next move? In 2004, the New Hampshire State Police was given info by the Murray family about this location. You know what else is interesting? It seems like all of the tips and leads are coming not from the police. Do you find that weird? Um, I don't find it weird, but... Oh, I find it weird. Okay, so you find it weird because it's like uh, there's a lot of volunteering? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, <laughs> there is a lot of volunteering, but it seems one of two things. Either the police are not interested in this case even though it's just a DUI walkaway, and if you track their action in this random DUI walkaway, none of it makes any sense. But furthermore, it seems like people might have either, A, gone to the police with information and never heard back, which seems to be the case from multiple witnesses and accounts that we've discussed on the podcast. I'm sure you remember all of them from the previous 28 episodes. Or they're too scared to go to the police for whatever reason, and they're just giving this info directly to Fred Murray or the family. And then the information is kind of going from that direction because the Murray family was given this information. I mean, there were even, uh, we discussed this on previous episodes, how there was also a witness hearing people arguing about jurisdiction at the accident scene. So whether that was Monaghan and Cecil or whoever, we don't know, but this information was given to Fred Murray. So just like in this case, the information about this house location was given to Fred Murray in 2004, and then he gave that info to the state police. So you know what would be really interesting, hopefully this case is solved very soon, and whoever's accountable, and if, 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 it's not, if law enforcement had nothing to do with it, if they had nothing to do with it, the true parties need to be held accountable. But if law enforcement was negligent, and it led to the perpetrators not being found, should they be held liable for negligence? Because if they were given information, let's say Haverhill PD was given information and they didn't forward it to the New Hampshire State Police, are they guilty in some respect in, in that regard? Because if they caused this case to not be solved, should that be exposed and should they be held accountable? Yeah, I guess um, uh, Fred should sue for the damages and then get set up for another crime or a crime and <laughs> well, even, jail, even, like, even, taking, even taking Fred and Mora out of it, should law enforcement departments be held accountable for negligence and competence? I mean, we're not even talking corruption here. Let's say there's no corruption, like there's no overt corruption. It's just they didn't forward this information. I just find it all bizarre. This whole case is bizarre. That's why we're on episode 29. I mean, it's just crazy. But anyway, so the Murray family gave the New Hampshire State Police the information they received about this location in 2004. What did law enforcement actually do at this location back in 2004 after they were alerted to its possible involvement. 15 years, law enforcement had the info about this location and have produced nothing. Chuck West stated this in a phone conversation between him and myself. We looked into this and there is nothing to it. There is nothing there. So that's the quote from Chuck West that John Smith is saying that he said in a phone conversation. And apparently seems to be the case. The team looked into this location and came up with very viable possible evidence of a crime. The team did this in four weeks after acquiring professionals with cadaver, dogs, and a world-renowned GPR company. The info, along with an official affidavit, was sent to New Hampshire State Police on December 7, 2018. The New Hampshire State Police has not officially acknowledged this report after 42 days of having received it. 42 days and counting. The Murray family has been aware of this info since December 1st. The New Hampshire State Police has not contacted the Murray family to do any damage control. 
The New Hampshire State Police has not contacted the Murray family to do damage control. So now, the again, once again, all of the John Smith haters that couldn't understand what possible, what what good could possibly come from sharing this info online, if law enforcement is not acting, now John Smith has public documentation of when they received what and how long it's been since they did nothing, didn't contact the family, didn't issue statements. If that's all true, does that make sense why John Smith released this information? Max, what do you think? Um, uh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Max Alarmy. Okay, so once again, let's go over it. So from news reports, so there have been a number of news reports now, they state that the previous homeowners denied all searches. Once again, not necessarily suspicious by itself. Some people are private. Why would they allow a search if they really believe they're innocent? Or if they're guilty, obviously they wouldn't allow a search. That doesn't really tell us that much. Here's what's interesting. It changed owners last year, and that is when the Murray family received cooperation from the new owners. So let's look at what Jeff Strelzen had to say. This is an article from the Daily Mail. In the UK, which is pretty good because now the case is getting more and more attention going into February. This was posted February 8th, 2019. Nursing student's father believes he may have finally found her body hidden in a stranger's basement 15 years after she was in a car crash and vanished. Maura Murray, 21, disappeared 15 years ago on February 9th, 2004. She was a nursing student at the University of Massachusetts Amherst at the time. She left campus and was driving into New Hampshire the day she went missing. She was last seen on a New Hampshire road after she crashed into a tree, allegedly. Her father, Fred Murray, believes that she is dead and was the victim of a crime. He thinks her remains are located in the basement of a home near the crash site. Fred said cadaver dogs and a radar scan found something hidden there. The exterior of the home was previously searched without any results. Authorities are considering how to proceed with this new information. Fifteen years after 21-year-old Maura Murray disappeared following a car crash in rural New Hampshire, her father may finally have found her remains. Fred Murray never stopped looking for his daughter after she vanished on February 9, 2004. Now he believes he may have found a clue to her whereabouts after being granted access to the basement of a home near where Mora crashed for the first time since the property was bought by new owners. He said cadaver dogs and a radar scan indicate she may be buried under the basement floor. The University of Massachusetts Amherst nursing student was last seen on a road in New Haverhill, New Hampshire, that leads to the White Mountain National Forest on February 9, 2004. Professors at her university say she claimed falsely that there had been a death in her family and that she needed to leave. Her damaged car was later recovered, but Mora has never been found. Fred believes his daughter is dead, the victim of a crime. Others theorized that Mora fled possibly to Canada or was injured, wandered off into the woods, and died of exposure. The case has been the subject of podcasts and a documentary. Fred had long suspected that his daughter's body may be in a home near to the crash site. The area outside the home had previously been searched for her body, but nothing was found. Fred had never been able to gain access until the end of last year after the property changed hands. Murray said two separate visits by cadaver dogs and a radar scan last fall identified something underneath the basement floor. It's been 15 years and I haven't let up, said Murray, now 76, said in a phone interview from Hanson, Massachusetts this week. The point is two dog hits and a radar hit. That's my daughter, I do believe. Murray said the information was shared with state police in December. Okay, so once again, we have corroboration from Fred Murray. No need, to no need to trust John Smith. All the John Smith haters always saying he's lying about everything and that they may have never even given the information to police. It's all very, very funny, isn't it? <laughs> Wait, when was this confirmed by Fred? Like, is it? Well, this article is in, this is the February 8th article from the Daily Mail UK. Oh, okay. So it's stating that Murray said the information was shared with state police in December. Jeffrey Shrelzen, Associate Attorney General, said the case remains open and active. We are aware of the allegations 
regarding a home's basement in that area and have considered and are considering next steps, he said. That area was searched by law enforcement in the past, including with dogs, and nothing of significance was discovered. Strelzen said the area outside the house was searched. Maura Murray's family and some investigators believe she just wanted to get away for a few days. She had recently resolved the criminal matter, including use of a stolen credit card, and caused extensive damage to her father's car during a crash. Once again, we have disputed both those things in the past, in the past episodes, where we don't know with 100% certainty that she didn't intentionally use a card that she knew was stolen. We don't know that that to be the case. And we don't know with 100% certainty that she was the one driving her father's car. She may have been. A few days before she disappeared, she was working her security job at UMass Amherst when the phone rang and she burst into tears. The caller and the subject of the call remain unknown. That's also pretty interesting. Because they say the caller and subject are unknown. So are they admitting in this article that that call was uh, between a 1240 and 1 a.m. call and not the midnight call with Billy Roush or the closer to 10 p.m. call with her sister? Very interesting. When Maura Murray lost control of her car and hit a tree, okay, that's not true, a couple who lived nearby called police. A school bus driver who also lived nearby asked her if she wanted him to call police. She said no, but he called anyway. A police report says the windshield was cracked on the driver's side, both airbags deployed, and the car was locked. There was a box of wine on the back seat and a strong odor of alcohol. I just want the poor kid to have her own grave, Murray said. I just want somebody to help her. It's pretty heartbreaking, and people are still defending police for not acting. Kind of weird. Hmm. So what do you think of that article, Maxwell? Um, uh, it's okay. That's all you got? Well, I don't know. Someone's got to do something. <laughs> yes, that's quite an understatement. So, okay, so let's let's look at it. Look at what was said. Shrelzen said the area outside the house had been searched, and he seemed to intentionally not specify whether it was cadaver dogs or just scent dogs. And if it was scent dogs, who knows what piece of clothing that might not even belong to Mora they were using. Because <laughs> when they had done the, the search with the gloves, those might have not even been Mora's gloves, or they might have been a pair of Mora's gloves that she hadn't worn. So if someone else had touched them, they would be tracking that somebody else's scent. So, yeah, been pretty weird. In other articles, they said that Strelzen declined to comment the New Hampshire State Police have declined to comment this whole time. So, why have they been stalling? Any theories, Maxwell? What? What? Uh, stolen? I said stalling. Oh, oh, why are they stalling? Yeah. I don't know. So Strelzen is saying the area was searched in the past. So if they searched it in two thousand four, what does that have to do with twenty eighteen? Like. There could be a new crime and they have no interest. It's just also bizarre. If there's a new, if somebody got killed there, there's human remains. They're not interesting in investigating a crime. Isn't that their job? Like if it's not more, it's not more, but it's just, it's also bizarre. Uh, that's, it, that's a good point. They should be curious if there's a dead body there. Exactly. And they don't seem to be. So it's pretty, it's pretty weird. And they've done nothing for this whole time. And there's people actually defend, there's people out there defending Police not investigating potential crimes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, well, they they have they have too many tra traffic stops to do, and uh, you know, like parking tickets. But what about the cold like case that. unit? Uh, I was they just don't do being that. Sarcastic. I know, I know, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. It was funny, but yeah. I'm just saying the cold case unit doesn't do any of that stuff. They're specifically designed to find to solve cold cases. So if it's not more, it's somebody else. It still needs to be investigated and solved. Okay, let's get to the new bombshell evidence. So this is a post by John Smith. He posted this on Reddit. On February 20th, 2019, Cecil Smith committed suicide by shooting himself in the head. Apparently, there were two guns found. Apparently, there was no note. On February 20th, 2019, the New Hampshire State Police and a cadaver dog were at the location where Fred and his team professionals came up with two positive cadaver dog hits and a conclusive GPR scan. Cecil was visited by someone from the New Hampshire State Police on February 20th, 
2019. So John Smith is saying that the same day Cecil Smith committed suicide was the day that the New Hampshire State Police and a cadaver dog were at the location finally investigating and they visited him at his house. And then he commits suicide that night. In the, pre in the previous episode, I stated that the timing of his suicide might suggest that it had nothing to do with any of it because he didn't commit suicide as soon as this broke, the news broke. And since they weren't doing anything, there was no reason to do anything. But if they actually searched, if he knew they were searching the location with a dog and it was all real, I mean, th those are some serious allegations. Oh, and speaking of the word allegations, did you notice how Strelzen in that article said that the allegations that dog documented on video by teams that professional teams working with that work with law enforcement signed affidavits and a GPR scan by a leading GPR company. Those are allegations. He didn't regard that as a tip or evidence. He regarded it as allegations. Is that another Freudian slip of him trying to divert the narrative? What do you think? <laughs> that's that's interesting. <laughs> now here's real allegations because we don't know if this is true. Supposedly all these locals said this, so this isn't this is all known to people in the area. And is that is that is that new information? The Cecil yeah. Smith uh wow. That's yeah. awesome. I mean that's not not that's not awesome. That's like uh crazy. Well, there's actually more. Oh shit. According to locals from the area, March fifth, twenty nineteen. The New Hampshire State Police and the FBI were at the location. What was, oh. the actual, what was the actual catalyst for the FBI to finally step into the picture? Was the FBI actually at the location, or is this just a rumor? Will the FBI take over the investigation into the disappearance and murder of Maura Murray? Coincidences or something more? So he's... so. From this post, I get that John Smith himself did not witness any of this because he's saying that it could be a rumor about the FBI. But apparently people, I guess, saw officials with FBI jackets because that's or a, F, or a vehicle that said FBI on it. I don't know. Otherwise, why would they state it was the FBI or did they just see people in suits who might have been detectives? They assume they were FBI. We don't know what constituted the locals stating that it was FBI at the location. But here's what here's what is possible. If the FBI actually have evidence that law enforcement were involved, they'd be stepping in on the case, right? Right. right. So did Cecil tell him so here's here are my thoughts. I, I still don't necessarily believe Cecil was involved. This doesn't prove he was involved. He could have still been the good guy, but here's the thing. If he was visited and he decided it was time, and he finally named names. The names that he named, let's say it wasn't, and again, the names that he named might have not even been law enforcement. It might have just, if he knew, or, and he might have just been theorizing. He might have not, he might not even know what happened. But if he had heard other rumors that had got back to him, and he was telling the police whatever the rumors he heard, so they would investigate the rumors, Maybe he believed the rumors to be true and that the real perpetrator, if he feared for his life, that the real perpetrator would kill him now that he told. I don't know. And keep in mind, he's got a neurodegenerative disease. So whatever he's thinking might not be the way a regular brain thinks. So he might have thought it was all much worse than it was, even if he wasn't involved. And even John Smith is not alleging that Cecil Smith was involved. He's just giving the information. He doesn't believe in coincidences which neither do I. But again, what does that mean? Does that mean Cecil could have still been the good guy fearing for his life with a degenerative disease so that a timing can line up both if he's the good guy or the bad guy? I'm not going to assume he's the bad guy. I'm not going to assume he's the good guy either, but we have to leave that on the table just because of if there is corruption or some cover-up and they kind of strong-arm Cecil into going along with it, a guy with a neurodegenerative disease, that's just not cool. Or, I mean, even someone without a disease, that's not cool in any way. But it's that much worse if the guy can't think 100% clearly or whatnot. So what do you think about all this new bombshell evidence? Is the FBI finally involved? Have they been involved the whole time and downplayed it as to not alert the people in law enforcement that they were investigating? Is that a possibility? Uh, yeah, it's a possibility. I can see that. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they were definitely, they were documented to have been involved at the beginning of the case. So they did some work apparently at UMass interviewing people. You know what would be really crazy? If the FBI actually knew what happened from the beginning. Hmm. And for whatever reason, I don't know, for whatever reason, they didn't act on it. If, it. if it connects to another case, let's say whoever harmed Mora, if he's either in law enforcement, if he's a CI, or if he's connected to law enforcement, maybe they wanted him for other crimes also. And that's why they didn't act this whole time. If it was something big, like if it had something to do with Whitey Bulger and the whole mafia angle with UMass, if there's way, if there's something bigger going on with a lot more dead bodies, they might have wanted this person for everything instead of just Mora. What do you think? Uh, I can see that. I mean, it's kind of hard to make sense of all of this. So it's, you know, once again, just theorizing based on available information. We don't know what happened, and there's too many missing pieces to know what happened for sure. We can only analyze the available information. So all the listeners out there, feel free to leave your thoughts, comments, theories, on what you believe has happened, what you believe is going on. But I still can't wrap my head around the fact that Strelzin said what he said and somehow justifying their inaction. If the first time they were on scene of February 20th, I mean, it's kind of weird. Maybe they were on scene earlier and they were trying to say they weren't, but their comments are still insane, especially they know the family's listening. It's just, it's also weird. It's just what a bizarre way to handle it. They could have just said, oh, yeah, we're looking into it and we're taking all leads seriously. That's it. Just say that. And when anybody's asking about dates, just say no comment. I mean, there's so many ways to handle it in a professional and non-shady manner. And for whatever reason, unless they're intentionally trying to make it, I, I don't know. It's all, it's, all, it's all really bizarre. We don't know what they know. So if they're the good guys and they're justified in it, then maybe, maybe it does, maybe it can be justified somehow. But since we don't have the missing pieces... We can't really say, but he also went out of his way, not to mention, so if they're not using cadaver dogs and the cadaver dogs did not go into the basement, so how would they even think to find anything? It doesn't really make a lot of sense. So, oh man, a lot more to cover. We still have a bunch of podcasts to do on other information that hasn't been covered in the case going back somewhat. But this was the new evidence, the new bombshell evidence. Could this be the bombshell that blows it wide open? We don't know. Did Cecil know more than he said? Or did the visit from New Hampshire State Police, if it occurred, did that really have to do with anything? Or did that just remind him of the Mora situation, which reminded him of something else? You know, even a person without a neurodegenerative disease, you know, certain memories trigger other memories. It might have had absolutely nothing to do with Mora, but just very bizarre circumstances. Very, very bizarre. So, but hopefully, if the FBI really is involved, and hopefully they are, a resolution will be coming soon and the case can finally be closed because it's been way, way, way too long. I think everybody can agree on that. So once again, we hope you enjoyed another edition of Mindshock True Crime. If you like our podcast, you can donate to our PayPal. Just check link in the description. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell for notifications. If you like the podcast, hit the like button. Feel free to share it across social media. Once again, leave any questions, comments, theories, or thoughts of any kind in the comments section, and we will try to get to all of them. Like our Facebook page. You can also check us out on Twitter, Patreon, and Reddit. This is Bruce McGuire signing off. And Maxwell Powers. We'll catch you guys next time.